Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Brisbane podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. We pray that this message is a blessing. Today's a really exciting day because we are joined by friends. Uh, one of them's from down south in Melbourne, and one of them is actually from over the pond, actually a couple of ponds, let's be honest. Um, and today we're joined by the National Director for Australia and the International Director uh, of the World, actually. That's what, we'd, that's what we'd say. Yeah. <laughs> of the cosmos. No, too strong. Uh, of 24-7 prayer. And I'm going to let them introduce their hearts, but I've glimpsed their lives this last few days, and I just want to say we're in for a treat as Brian, the International Director, comes and shares the word with us. And so can I just say, when he comes up to open up the scriptures, can we give him a warm New Life Brisbane welcome? But in the meantime, I'm gonna hand the microphone to Eden, whose violin playing is just astounding. Thank you. And Eden is gonna read the scriptures for us. Yeah, so why don't we be upstanding for Eden as she comes to read. The reading today is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Uh, Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. I didn't like that director of the world. That was like a probably God's job, really. Uh, So my name's Brian. I'm the international prayer director for an organization called, a movement really, called 24-7 Prayer. We've been on the go for about 24 years. Uh, You may have seen some of our bits and bobs around. We do a little thing called Lectio 365. It's a great app. We uh, inspire and encourage the church to pray all over the world. Last year we saw 1,400 prayer rooms in over 55 nations of the globe. Uh, We believe in prayer and mission. The idea that prayer just exists on its own scares me, and the idea that mission just exists on its own scares me. When you see the two together, we see healthy, balanced Christians, healthy, balanced organizations, and healthy, balanced churches. And it's that idea that we breathe in and we breathe out. We're called to breathe in his presence, but we're called to breathe it out in love, in action, in service to the world around us. So when I think about prayer, when I talk about prayer, I'm thinking that whole, that sense of breathe in, breathe out. Align your heart to God's heart. His heart always points towards the last, the least, and the lost. And as we come into a relationship with him and prayer with him, that's what happens. So that's, that's my heart, that's my passion, and it's lovely to be here to share that with you. And... Uh, I've got a question. It's a simple one. Where's your garden? Okay, I know you live in a city. Some people might live in an apartment, different things like that, but where's your garden? And I thought it would be really good for us today to think about where our garden is. Now, I'll, I'll unpack that. But first of all, just as we think about where is our garden, it'd be helpful to think about prayer. That when we come to pray, people often feel guilty. Okay, I'm the international prayer director of 24-7 prayer, and occasionally I think I don't pray enough. Okay, now you might pray loads, 
But there is a sense in which we, we all think, oh, I don't pray enough. Surely prayer is something that we're all meant to do. And I think what happens is we kind of get into a kind of condemnatory type mode on it and we feel guilty. There's a lot of guilt associated with prayer. But here, here's, what I, here's what I would give to you to help you when it comes to prayer is this, that God's primary expression towards you is a smile. When you walk into the room, his face lights up. Psalm 139, I'm going to paraphrase it, God didn't screw up when he made you. Okay? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. His face is inclined towards you. In fact, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. Numbers 8, verse 24. There's some sort of uh, minority textual tradition that says when it, when it talks about his face shine, it could just as easily mean his face smiles. A New Living Translation, uh, Psalm 67, verse, or 57, verse 1. May God be merciful and bless you. May his face smile with favor on us. So when, I, when you think about prayer, when you think about what does that mean, it is about entering into the presence of a smiling father, someone who's happy to see you, whose face lights up, who is constantly looking down with joy. He's not looking with disgust. He's not tutting. He's not, you know, all of that. I, I, like, I'm a dad. I've got two sons. I would love to tell you I smile at them all the time. But I don't. They're older now. Maybe I smile a bit more because I don't see them as much. Do you know what I mean? But like, well, I, remember, like, I remember once, right, we were driving home from the cinema, and my son was giving it all this. And Do you have that? Giving it all. He was, he was winding me up, right? And I remember we were 22 miles from home. I remember stopping the car and telling him to get out and telling him to walk home. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just being honest. It wasn't my best parental moment. Do you know what I mean? But God's not like that. God's not going to boot you out of the car. He's not going to make you walk home. His face is inclined towards you, and he smiles. And so when I think about that, I'm coming to this point of meeting with God. And uh, the place we meet with God is... This is quite wobbly, isn't it? Sorry, I just noticed that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the other thing is I'm super easy distracted. So if that happens while I'm up here, just kind of go off in the... Uh, anyway. Uh, <clears throat> The idea of meeting a smiling God is one of encounter. I love the word encounter. God wants to encounter us. It's we encounter God in so many ways. I, I, the word encounter is beautiful. We, uh, it means to meet with someone, to contend with, to encounter a new situation. When I first encountered my wife, Tracy, uh, 31 years ago, Shows you how old. I was like 12. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. This is not real gray hair. I just did this to try and stay on point. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the jokes don't work, do they? Anyway, so uh, here I was. I, I just got out of prison, but that's a whole other story, okay? And I, was, I went along to church, and, I, and, and there was this beautiful woman up the front playing saxophone back in the day when a good Bruce Springsteen saxophone solo rocked church worship. And there she was. And I was like... I thought, oh, she's beautiful. And then I thought, she's looking at me. I thought, oh, you, I don't know, do you have this in, she's giving me the eye? Is that a thing? So I thought, I'm in. So then I was like, <laughs> best worship face ever. You know the one, sort of like, I don't know how you do it, you're best like. 
I'm sort of bending my knees. I don't know if I did that. Or, or maybe like holding something, that one. You know, the kind of, but anyway, and I was always trying to catch her eye and impress her. And, and I thought it worked. And then when, we, when, we, uh, if, when I eventually got the courage up to uh, ask her out on a date, we went out and eventually we proposed, I proposed and we got married. And uh, Tracy tells me she's short-sighted. It means she, could never, she couldn't see beyond here. So every time I thought she was looking at me, she was not looking at me. So, but hey, it was an encounter that eventually did change my life. And so we have these encounters that change our life. We encounter new partners. We encounter children. We encounter illness, new jobs, unemployment, waiting for your exams, uh, tragedy, new life, conflict. I fell off the roof of a house once. That was an encounter with the pavement. That I thought on the way down I was going to meet my maker. Something happened in this encounter. And then there's the ultimate encounter, the one that is salvation, where we meet with God in that moment where we turn to him and we realize that there is no other way but to follow him, that there's, the world offers so much, but he offers it all. And so that moment where I first encountered Jesus in a probation hostel just out of prison, I read Isaiah 59, verse 1, where it says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. And in that moment, I encountered a God whose arm can reach in anywhere and a God who listens. I love that. A God who can reach in anywhere and a God who listens. I think it was Nick Cave who said, I don't believe in an interventionist God. I do. I believe in an interventionist God, a God who reaches in. And in that moment, I encountered God. But here's the deal. I soon found out that God didn't just want to have a one-off encounter. He wanted to regularly encounter me, and, I, and he wanted me to regularly encounter him. And that's what leads us to our uh, Bible verse that we read at the beginning, Genesis 3, verse 8 to 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Or in old school, where art thou? It's always a bit weird, isn't it? Because did God really lose them? You know, the omniscient creator of the universe. He didn't. Okay? He was just, it was an inquiry after the state of their hearts. A bit more like, where are you at? And so we see this beautiful story, which is also a very sad story of the fall where Adam and Eve get separated because of their sin, and the, thankfully Jesus came, and we have known redemption, and then the new covenant, and he has opened up a way whereby we can boldly approach the throne of grace, and we can walk in relationship with Jesus. But right here, in this verse, this is where it all goes wrong, but there's something that we can learn, is that in this, they, that they had what a commentator called Ellicott says in the uh, Hebrew verbiage, like the... the uh, reflexive conjugation of the Hebrew verb. The, word, the phrase walking was this, walking for pleasure, walking for pleasure. God used to walk for pleasure with his creation. And in the cool of the day was when the work was done. So like if you, I lived in the Mediterranean, my wife and I planted a work in Ibiza in Spain. And the cool of the day comes, it doesn't feel like you ever get the cool of the day here, by the way, but I'm sure it, it was like when we got off the plane in Melbourne the other way, it's like we stepped into hell. So, so, I mean, it was that warm. I mean, it was not, not literally spiritually or anything, it just meant heat-wise. I don't, anyway, dig, don't dig a hole, Brian, don't dig a hole. And so, <laughs> 
What was I talking about? Hang on. This is my... Yes, the cool of the day when the work is done. And the cool of the day when the work is done. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my prayer life, I just come with a list. It's not all about the list. It's about walking in his presence. It says that, you know, it's almost like they waited and they listened for his footsteps. It was like Psalm 46, verse 10, which the Franciscan monks call the gateway to prayer. It was like, be still and know that I am God. It was like in the end, at the end of the day, they used to still themselves. They used to wait. They used to listen. And they said, I can hear him coming. Here comes God. And God would come and he would walk and he would talk with them. And it would be for pleasure. Them walking in a garden with a smiling God. How does that sound? See, for me, that's prayer. This idea that you can walk with God and encounter him and he can encounter you in a garden. So, Where's your garden? The original plan was one of regular encounter, a set-aside time of walking and talking. Where's your garden? The Hebrew word for garden is Ghana. It means a hidden or covered place. So there was these kind of, you'll find them in Moorish architecture. They're like walled gardens. They had little streams and all of that to block out the wind. And, and, and that's the garden that we're talking about here, a walled garden, an enclosed Eden. Where's your garden? So for me, I wake up every morning, like most of us, and I, uh, I get into a chair. I have a chair in the corner of my living room. And I have a lamp and I have a journal and I have a Bible I make my coffee. I'm not, I've, like, you guys are so into coffee, by the way. I just, just, I make a pretty average coffee, but I do it in one of those little stoves. You boil it up and it makes it, anyway. I felt I need to explain it wasn't just instant. So, uh, <laughs> thank you. I feel a little bit more hipster now. Is that even the thing anymore? It's not, is it? Sorry. And so there I am with my coffee, my Bible, my journal, and I sit down and it's like this. It's like I rest in his presence. It's like my moment of encounter. It's the place that I come to meet with him, where I walk with him and I talk with him and I, I sit for pleasure and I allow him to speak to me and I speak to him. And it's the source, it's the well, it's the wellspring of my life, this garden that I have with him, that I've cultivated over the years, that I've developed, I've weeded, I've built pathways, I've done things in this garden so that I can spend time with God. Where's your garden? Because when I'm outside of my prayer time, I have these moments throughout the day where all of a sudden I think like, God's with me. And I notice his presence with me when I'm on the train or walking or talking or out and about because you cultivate the quiet time and God will follow you everywhere. Slofa, the Aramaic word for prayer, means to tune in, to tune in. So in the morning, we tune in and we stayed tuned in. Where's your garden? <laughs> now for me, it's my chair and I'm I work from home sometimes. Other times I work in other nations. It's not always easy to take my chair with me. So I have to work out rhythms. You know, we're in Peru or you're in Beirut or, you know, it's just challenging at times to find. But I, I, make, I make a point of having a time of encounter. Uh, for you, it could be the gym. It could be a walk that you take. The, the, the secret is intentionality. 
So I, I, go, I, I used to go to the gym. You can see I don't do it very much anymore. And I used to do like, uh, bench presses. I know there's probably some like, big guys here who eat loads of protein who do it all the time, right? But, uh, and don't do leg day. They just do chest day. And they've got really skinny legs. You see them, don't you? Anyway, and uh, <laughs> I've got two sons, Ellis and Daniel. And so when, I, when I've got these two weights, I'm like, Lord, I lift my sons up to you. I turn the gym into my sanctuary. I turn the gym into my garden. You could be running on a treadmill. Turn the gym into your garden. You can be walking your dog by the river. Turn it into your garden, your place of prayer. You can be driving the car, get stuck in a traffic jam. You either moan, listen to the radio, just pass the time of day catching flies, or you turn it into your sanctuary. I had a friend, he turned his car into a sanctuary when he met his, his future wife. He opened his car door and he went, welcome to my sanctuary. And she was freaked out, right? She went, all right, looks like a Honda Civic to me. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, so we have to understand that we all need to create a space to encounter God, this smiling God who wants to walk for pleasure. I hope I've made it sound like something you'd want to do, but the secret is intentionality, carving out that space for regular encounter with him. If I look at Jesus, he withdrew regularly to pray, and if I am truly an apprentice of Jesus, I want to do what my rabbi did. I want to follow him and live like he lived. And so Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 6, he said this, but when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus says, go and find a place for encounter. Go into a room, a garden. Do you know that the the Greek word for the room there was was this word, tamion, which means storeroom. It was actually a room in the middle of the house. It, had, it was probably the only room that had a locking door, and it had no windows. I find that quite fascinating, that Jesus said, go into a room with no windows. How hard is it to go into a room with no windows these days? I mean, I, I'm not, I don't even really think God's saying, lock yourself Harry Potter style under the cupboard. I don't think that's what he was saying. But for us, generationally, even someone my age, I have untold windows. You know, if it takes you 15 minutes a day to read the Bible, you'd read it in a year. But we spend 150 minutes a day on social media. I'm not, I'm not anti that. I can while away the hours looking at reels of Labradors jumping in mud on Instagram. Love it. And uh, I'm often show, chuckling at night. My wife's saying, what are you laughing at? I'm like, look at this dog. Anyway, uh, so I can do that. But when I wake up in the morning, there are windows shouting at me. BBC News app, my emails, Insta, you know, did I pick up a new follower? Did I lose a follower? I don't know. I don't really, I'm not that obsessed. Sorry, I made that sound more obsessed than I was. But, you know, as, <laughs> but, you know do you know what I mean? We have windows, iPads, laptops, phones. And Jesus says, go into a room and switch them off, turn them off. And I think the first place we go to, we, I think it was Mark Sayers, actually, who talks about reclaim the hour. Try and reclaim the first hour of your day. Imagine if you had a windowless, social media-free first hour of your day. Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. The intentionality of this is important. And then I'm thinking, okay, I don't know if you ever think this. It's okay for you to say it, Jesus, but did you do it? And Jesus can handle hard questions, by the way. God's not frightened of any of your questions, none of them. I've noticed this over the years. 
when John sends his disciples to say to Jesus, is it true that you are the Messiah? Jesus goes, for goodness sake, John, you're a stupid, unbelieving man. He doesn't do that. He goes, tell him, the lame walk, the blind see. And so every question, he always wants to come with reassurance. Don't be frightened of asking God questions. Anyway, so here we have Jesus. Let's look at the book of Mark. I'm just going to run you through a couple of incidents where Jesus prayed. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, what you have to understand is the day before, he had been in Peter's, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house. He had prayed for her. She had got healed. That night, it says, the whole town turned up. As a pastor, that would be my dream. The whole town turns up. And then you just think, why didn't we just stop in Mark 1? Jesus builds a revival center. Do you know what I mean? And in Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law's house, it suddenly becomes, you know, like the new place that everybody to fly into. And then, but what we hear happens is that Jesus, the next morning, he goes and he prays. It says he goes to a solitary place and he prays. And here's what's fascinating. He was in a really sweet season of life. He was seeing breakthrough. Things were going well. Can I just say that I've noticed that we pray less when things are going well? In Deuteronomy 8, God says to the children of Israel, when it goes well with you, don't forget about me. And often when things are going well, we stop asking God for guidance. Jesus could have just been like, this is going so well. But he goes away and he prays and, and, and his, his disciples come looking for him and he says this, we, <laughs> they go, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus goes, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. When we are Things are going well. We can occasionally stop asking for guidance because everything's going so well. Moses did it. In, in uh, Exodus, it talks about uh, that God said to him, strike the rock in Exodus 17, verse 6. And then, interestingly, later on in Numbers 20, verse 6 to 12, God says, speak to the rock. Do you know what Moses did? He struck the rock. He didn't, didn't speak to it because he allowed what had happened previously to override new revelation. He didn't continue to seek God for new revelation. We start to operate out of self, out of intellect, out of previous experience, out of someone else's model. And before we know it, God's not in it because we're busy. No, because we're, things are going well. Everything's good. Just keep going, keep going. You need to keep praying when things are going well. They need to keep seeking fresh guidance. We must never put what worked before over current revelation. And we get to current revelation by praying. So Jesus, what, Jesus didn't say that stay. He said let's go on. And then the second point, just briefly here, is Jesus then got really, really busy. If you read Mark, Mark's brilliant. But in, I think the first chapter is about eight or nine immediately's. Things go really well, but then he gets really busy. People want to make him, in John it talks about, he goes to feed the 5,000, and they all want to make him king. That's, that's, that's some pretty busy stuff, isn't it? In fact, in, in Mark, uh, not the Mark that we're going to speak here, but in Mark 6, verse 31, it says, hey, Come with me by yourselves. This is to his disciples, to a quiet place. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Sounds good. Jesus, chapter 1, goes to a solitary place to pray. Chapter 6, he's taking his disciples 
There's a leadership challenge there. You need to do it yourself, and then you need to take other people with you. So he takes his disciples with him to a solitary place. But you know what happens? The crowd follows them. I don't know about you, but does the crowd ever follow you into your quiet place? Does the crowd ever follow you into your quiet time with God? Do you ever find it really hard to focus and not be distracted? I do. Distraction is a really a challenge for each one of us. But Jesus, you know, interestingly, he dismisses the crowd. Well, he, first he attends to the crowd. Then he dismisses the crowd. And interesting, Mark 6. Let's just read Mark 6, 45 to 50. So he's attended the crowd. He's dismissed the crowd. There's a lot of them. It says this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Sometimes you've got to climb a little bit higher in your devotional life. A mountainside, a mountaintop is the intersection between heaven and earth. But to get in your prayer life, sometimes it takes effort. If you've ever climbed a mountain, you know when you get up above 10,000, 11,000, 12,000 feet, it's very, very difficult. But sometimes you've got to push through. So Jesus climbs up the mountainside. Later that night, I find this is the funniest story in the Bible, one of the funniest. Uh, The boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. Uh, He saw his disciples straining at the oars because because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, so he let them struggle for a bit, he went out to them, walking on the lake. Already this is a good story. Uh, He was about to pass them by. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. So they cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. (laughs) Anyone else think that's weird that he was about to pass them by? Jesus goes, so he's got the, the crowd is behind him, the storm is in front of him, in the middle he goes up and prays. I'm going to tell you what I think happened when he went up and prayed, just bear with me here. I think he, he understood who he was. In busyness, you sometimes lose your sense of identity. Jesus never stepped away from knowing who he was. He always knew his identity. And actually, the Mark in the writing, Mark was writing the book of Mark for a Jewish congregation based in Rome. It was meant to be read out loud in two and a half hours. They would have understood all the Hebraic and all the different touches that were put in there to speak to them. Some of it is lost on us now. And so Jesus is about to pass them by. And we're all thinking, that's weird. But the the crowd in Rome wouldn't, because in Exodus 33, verse 21, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock when my glory passes by. Exact same phrase. I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Exodus 33, 21. 1 Kings 19, verse 11. God says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Same phrase. And so in this story, we see all of a sudden that, that, that it's revealing that Jesus knew who he was. He was the Son of God, and he was about to pass by. And so this is just a, a hint at the kind of like the, 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 the bigger messianic narrative that's at play here, that with Elijah and Moses, God had passed them by. And here was that same God, the God who had passed by Moses and Elijah, about to pass them by on their boat. And then it says he gets into the boat, and he says this, Uh, Do not be afraid. Take courage. It is I. It is I. 
And that's even more beautiful because what happens, it's, it's this term, ego emi, which I am. I am. The same God who said to Moses, I am who I am in Exodus 3. That, that is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. And so Jesus knew who he was. He goes up the mountain, the crowds in front, the crowds behind him, the storms in front of him, but he knows who he is, a sense of identity. And when you get busy, you need to dig into prayer, climb the mountain higher, because God wants to remind you of who you are, of who you are. You are sons and daughters of the living God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. If God is for you, who can be against you? All of that needs to be reaffirmed to you. Therefore, you are under no condemnation. You know, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is the word of God that when we climb up the mountain of prayer, he comes and he reassures us and we get to understand in a world where our identity is being consistently and constantly challenged, we know who we are. And the the world is looking for a group of individuals and people in a community who knows who they are. And so prayer will lead you to that place of identity. And finally, Mark's a brilliant one if you're a preacher. He's got three points on prayer. But just finally, Jesus goes into the garden in Mark 14, verse 32 to 36. This is the key moment in our redemption. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What a beautiful moment of grace and intimacy. So when things are going well, we need to pray. We need to seek guidance. When we're busy, we need to continue to pray because we need to remember who we are. When we're in crisis, we must continue to pray. And actually, most people pray more in crisis. But what I want to reassure you is the language here of Abba, Father. In crisis, God comes to us so much more intimately and deeply. And sometimes, nearly always, we're asking God to lift us out of the crisis, to change the crisis, to stop the crisis, all of which I am desperate for in so many lives of people I know. But one of the things I do know, even if the situation doesn't change, God is always there. I am with you. I am with you. In the garden, I am with you. The thing about prayer, about identity, about guidance is is deep down that God wants to come and reassure us of his presence. The echo through history that God wants to walk and talk with man was broken in the Garden of Eden and we start to see its, its repair in the Garden of Gethsemane. Come away with me. Come be with me. Encounter me, the smiling God who wants to give you a sense of guidance and leading, who wants to come and touch and speak into your identity, and in crisis wants to come and be fully, intimately present with each one of us. Where's your garden? God is desperately looking to meet each one of you in a garden. You can't just engage with God in a crowd. The crowd is incredibly, incredibly important, but he wants us to meet with him on our own, You know Adam and Eve hid because they felt shame? And I think some of us hide because we feel shame. This isn't in my notes, 
So I'm just going to share this. I feel this is a word from the Lord for some of you here today. One of my biggest problems that I've ever suffered with is imposter syndrome. I'm not good enough. If only they knew what I was really like. If only people saw the things that I think and the stuff that I do. It's imposter syndrome. And it stops us from being fully who we are or fully engaged with God. It's shame. You know, I've been to prison. I was expelled from college. Uh, you know, do you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. It kind of plays on, am I good enough? And I think God wants to come and he wants to break imposter syndrome within each person here. I had this beautiful moment where I had to walk around the garden once with the Archbishop of Canterbury. He's quite a big cheese in the Christian world. And he said, and, he, and I was a bit nervous. And I said, I said, he said, what's the matter with you? And I went, I, he didn't say what's the matter. He, he, anyway, we were talking. And I went, I just feel like I'm an imposter. And he, you know, he looked at me and I thought he was going to offer me words of reassurance. And he went, so do I. Thanks a lot, bish. <laughs> I didn't say that either. <laughs> you know, he said, so do I. He said, but we all have to learn to accept our place in the story. And you all have a place in the story of the kingdom to play. And it's a, a place of encounter. It's a place where God comes and gives you guidance and direction. It's a place where God comes and touches your identity, where he comes and he's present with you in crisis. But do not allow imposter syndrome from stopping you step into the garden because he's there with a big smile on his face. Big smile on his face. So, where's your garden? I'm going to call us to prayer right now. Is that okay? Bam, they're going to come up. And I just, if, I can't, make garden for you. You have to make your own garden. But if today you want to stand with me and say, I, I'm just going to stand up as a commitment that I am going to desperately try and find a garden. You know, someone was sharing earlier with me, sometimes it's like the widow's might. You might think I haven't got a lot to give, but the little you can give, give. The little bit of time you can give, give. But if you want to stand with me right now, just a fresh commitment to encountering God in the garden, Let's do that. While I pray, if you stand, that'd be great. Father, I just thank you that you smile on us. Lord, that you smile on this community. And Lord, I just pray right now as we stand and commit to seeking out a garden to spend time with you, that you would meet each one of us there. Father, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would break imposter syndrome. Lord, that you would come and you would set us free from feeling like imposters. Lord, we are your children, and you're smiling, and you're looking forward to spending time with us. So break that now as we step more deeply into your presence to encounter you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you, or you would like prayer, you can contact us at church.nu or through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.